feel like I feel like I've already met Jesus in such profound ways through the worship team and the ways that they lead us right into the throne throne room. It's not about them. I don't see them, but it's just an amazing way that you guys lead us. Thank you so much. And thank thank you to the the some of you that I've had a chance to get acquainted with and the ways that you've opened your hearts to me and just simply shared in my journey, the journey that I'm on with Jesus. We're all at different places. Um, our journey is unique to us, and um, He is enough. I, I, I love Matt's um, approach message to you and me yesterday afternoon around authentic authenticness. And it reminded me of the way that God creates you and me um, from conception um, as his masterpiece. That's where that's where we start. Um, and sometimes I look at at uh, several uh, of those those characteristics of children. Um, one is, is a kind of vulnerability. Um, just what you see is what you get. A kind of open trusting. When, <clears throat> when my oldest daughter was about, I don't know, old, she would stand in my in my hand at arm's length like this, and she would stand there with arms outstretched, and I could do this kind of thing, and she would laugh. She was so trusting and vulnerable. She was also dependent. Another characteristic of of God's masterpiece in the ways that He creates you and me as children. Another thing that I notice about children is that they're forgiving. They don't carry grudges. They don't hold things a long, long time. But they pretty quickly forgive and forget. And they're also authentic. I love the authenticness that I see in many of you. <clears throat> and I, sorry I don't have a name, but I bumped into... Regina, bumped into Regina, <clears throat> and I took a picture of her T-shirt for my granddaughters. My second oldest granddaughter in Nome, Alaska, will be 19 tomorrow. And the T-shirt says, Honey, I am the drama queen. Team, I am the drama team. <laughs> I don't know you, Regina, but I... I like to watch the drama sometimes. <clears throat> Authentic. I have a good friend who who has a little, I, I think it's a nephew or grandnephew. He was having a conversation with his brothers one day, and his mom heard him say, 
S-E-X. The way it's spelled. I like, I like the way it sounds. I just wish I knew what it meant. That's about as real as it gets. You know from yesterday that my plan was to dive in this session to a look at identity and who we are and that that strong, strong foundation. And I don't know about you. Um, I know some of you were were sort of wrecked last evening in in that movie. And for me, I at first I had a question: Is the right place to plug it into the week? But then I thought. No, that was exactly where Jesus wanted it. Um, I might sleep under the bed tonight, but I'm going to tell you how it wrecked Bonnie. Um, when we got to that to that scene of the heart attack, that was so real. That was a flashback to what is it? Three years ago now when her husband dropped dead of a heart attack in the greenhouse. It was just the two of them. And then it was, remind me, 40-some minutes, 42 minutes, I think, until the EMTs got there. And some of you, perhaps, I don't know your stories. I would love to hear your stories. Some of you may have walked where Rich Mullins walked in relationship to his dad and the pain that he felt and as I read and research the literature says that that one of those ways if we run back to the house of the God of Jacob that one of those ways that God works is that He's the author of families. He puts you and me in families. It's, families are his idea. And he puts you and me in families and he, who I've come to believe our number one priority for our children is to give them the best possible picture of the good father that we can. The literature suggests that, all the research suggests that you and I tend to see God the way we see, the way we experienced our earthly dads. And it's the enemy. It's not about our dads. Please hear me carefully. It's our parents, we as parents, we do the very best that we know how to do with our children. We may not even know that that modeling, that representation is part of our job description. But we do the best we know how to do. And it's never good enough. It's, it's not perfect. And so there's things that you and I miss in that growing up piece, in the parenting side. And so then we struggle to know how to 
how to come to the Father. And I could tell you lots and lots of stories that hurt of the pain that comes out of that broken. <clears throat> and so as I was listening to the Holy Spirit in the wee hours of the morning, um, and then the brothers on the team confirmed it this morning as we met for prayer, I'll get to the identity piece because that's critical for you. It's the foundation. It's where we live and breathe. It's where you and I make decisions for all of life. It's it's how we make our, our choices. But a crucial part of that is around what we do with the pain. And so for the next hour, I'd like to talk about bitterness and forgiveness. I was sitting with a brother just a, a couple days ago in a restaurant and he was sharing his pain the pain in his marriage and at a certain point I think we were sharing it was like the lights came on for him and he said he said so so what you're saying is that forgiveness is not about her it's about me I said you're exactly right Forgiveness is not something that you and I do for other people. It's what we do for ourselves so that we can get well and so that we can move on. And you might be thinking, yeah, but, but look at what they did. It was criminal, perhaps. They maybe should have been locked up. Yes. I love the words of the song. I, I can't quite pull them up Um, I was talking about God being satisfied in the death of Jesus that was the phrase God is a God of justice but he's also a God of love and of mercy and of grace and so forgiveness never it, it never excuses someone's behavior in the ways that they wounded or damaged or destroyed your heart. But what forgiveness does is it prevents their behavior from destroying your heart. So I've mentally Mentally readjusting my my uh, thoughts for this morning, and um, let me see if I can get um, connected to the PowerPoint here into the church projector, and it's asking me for a password, but maybe it will go without. It. Looks like it did. Thank you. And so, <clears throat> this is something that someone shared with me. It's sort of uniquely appropriate to marriage, 
And so those of you that are hoping at some point in life to get married, you might want to put this in your hip pocket and sort of be alert. He says, whenever I get mad at you, you never seem to get upset. How do you manage to control your temper? She said, I, I just go and clean their toilet. He says, how does that help? I don't know who you're rooming with this week or where you're lodging, but if you have a roommate that you think is really, really upset and they're talking about cleaning the toilet, you may, you may want to. And another one I share sometimes. He says, apparently I've done something to upset you. Like I said earlier, God created our hearts. God created you and me for wholeness, for freedom, for health, um, to be open. He gave us hearts that He designed to be open and alive. Alive to Jesus and alive to people around us. Alive to a spouse if He gives us that gift. Alive to grandparents. Alive to cousins, to uncles and aunts. Our hearts were were designed. They were meant to be filled with love and with joy and with peace for freedom and for healing. But the reality is that you and I live in a broken world and we can't control the things that happen to us. We talked a bit about free will and the fact that God allows you and me to choose He didn't create us as robots, marionettes on the end of a string or a puppet. He lets us choose. And He lets people choose against Him and and do horrible things which are traumatic and deeply, deeply wounding and scarring to our heart. And so the question is, why is it that Oftentimes, our lifeless, like a, like a locked prison cell, if you will, rather than an open door. It's because of the pain. One of those ways that God works is He designed you and me uh, in ways that we, we have to do something with pain. It happens physically. Um, you know, it's for a lot of my life, I was, I was an angry man. I, I would have argued you into the ground if you would have accused me of that because I didn't think I was angry. I had learned religious ways to, to control it or to, to deal with it. But I've discovered that all you have to do is put me behind a car in Sarasota, Florida with all of those old people. And stuff build. I mean, they'll pull right out in front of you. And they've got the next three days, I think, to get to where they want to go. And I need to be at the church in ten minutes. Or they'll pull across three or four lanes of traffic to get to where they want to go. And so I'm, I've been on a journey of learning to 
let Jesus wash my heart of the anger. My kids, as they were growing up, they experienced my anger. Not in the way that you saw Rich Mullins experience dad's anger. My kids felt it in religiously correct ways. Not politically correct, but religiously correct. And so we have conversations around that when we get together. And they're not bashful at all about talking to me about places where I failed, where I didn't get things right. And so we all, in a broken world, we suffer the wrongs of people around us. We can't control what happens to us in this world. And freedom oftentimes seems like it's so But there is one thing that you and I can control. What is that? Sorry? Me. Yeah, spin that out just a little bit. What about, what part of me can I control? Rex, what? My soul, my my will, my emotions. I like that. My attitudes, if you will. I used to tell my kids, People can't make you mad. You choose to get angry. Well, guess what? It came back to bite me. And so you and I have choices around what we do with the wrongs, with the pain that we experience. It reminds me of that familiar song, Oh, what needless pain we bear. What? Exactly. All because we do not carry all of those things to Jesus in prayer. And so the burning question for you and me is how do we open to let other people in, to let Jesus in? Pray with me uh, about where we go this evening. I'm hoping we can get to the, the identity piece, and I'd like to talk about a couple other burning questions with you. Corey Ten Boom said that the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred, that's forgiveness. It's a power that breaks the chains of bitterness, the shackles of selfishness. And so the secret for you and me To find freedom, to find healing, and to find release comes from Jesus himself. And it's so simple. It's not rocket science. It's forgive. But it can be so hard. It can be so costly. We'll talk about that. Someone said that Holding a grudge is like letting someone live rent-free in your head. It's just a constant drain. They're there. They're taking up space. They're living. And you're the one that's paying for their rent. I shared this earlier. Forgiveness doesn't excuse their behavior, but it prevents their behavior from destroying your heart. Forgive others, not because they deserve forgiveness, but because you deserve peace. You know, on the surface, that sounds selfish, doesn't it? 
It's not about them. <clears throat> but that is the reality for you and me. And I think when we connect those dots in our heads and in our hearts, we've taken a major step. And this is about us. It's about me. <clears throat> so when you and I refuse to forgive others, it keeps us from experiencing everything that the Father, the good Father, wants to give us. And beyond that, the other side of it is, is that we bring suffering upon ourselves. It's a loving Heavenly Father's discipline because you and I are made to suffer. There was a piece for me last evening in the, in the movie. I, I loved the rawness, the reality, the, the truth, the profound truth for me just confirmed what I said yesterday, that there is always, 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 always you and I do things. In Rich's case, he didn't know what to do with it. He didn't know what to do with the pain in his heart. And so it's no different for you and me. When we don't, when we don't know what to do with the pain, we'll reach for whatever the closest medication or the medication of choice to numb the pain in our hearts. And I could walk you through a whole list of those. For Rich, it was the bottle. It was the alcohol that just simply numbed his pain. I asked a young fellow, twenty, early 20s, uh, who was starting to drink more than he knew he should. I said, why are you... Why are you taking in so much alcohol. And he didn't miss a beat. He said, oh, it's just to numb my pain. He, he knew it. He got it. Can I suggest to you that it's no different with food or with music or with video games or with romance novels or with pornography? The list goes on and on. I said yesterday that Oftentimes, we don't go after the roots of those things. We just put a Band-Aid on whatever the symptom is. So I'm, I'm really eager to, to hear Matt Rand talk about uh, human sexuality and God's gift to you and me in our sexuality. And I'm still on a, on a learning journey. But in my own experience, my own struggles with with lust and sensuality. Maybe I can share some of that with you tonight. Um, <clears throat> it was a roller coaster for much of my life when I was dying for freedom. And I would find a place of freedom for a time, sometimes significant periods of time. And then I'd, fi I'd find myself on my face in the mud again, hating myself for that failure and saying, God, where are you? As I look back on that now, I've pleaded that I didn't, I didn't know how to find my way to the deep roots, to the heart pain that I was carrying. I could take you to the exact spot on the ground in southeastern Kentucky where I grew up on a Sunday morning when my dad and I had words. A wonderful godly man, a Bible scholar far beyond what I can ever hope to be. 
man of integrity, straight as an arrow. But he didn't know how to connect with my heart. And it was at that point. Looking back now, I see it so clearly. When I became, um, I, I became an emotional orphan, if you will. I didn't realize then what was happening. I, I couldn't figure it out. But it was at that point that I said, if that's who my dad is, I'm done. I don't need him. No more. I didn't connect. I didn't connect the pain, the suffering, the, the reversals, if you will, the things that cost in my life. I didn't connect them to my unforgiveness. I tried. I, I wanted to forgive. And I did the very best that I knew. And we'll, we'll see if we can unwrap this. In my short lifetime of connecting with people in pain, whether it's pain in a marriage or premaritally or kids like you, I've come across just endless sad, sad stories. Of the, the pain, the suffering that results from unforgiveness. And for me, I've just come to sort of anticipate uh, the mysteries in all kinds of unexpected ways, the ways that it happens. If we were sitting over coffee, I could tell you about a missionary lady, a missionary wife, who saw her son suddenly, instantly, I think it was, set free from years of shameful, embarrassing bedwetting. And another younger son who was immediately set free from a variety of food allergies. When she walked the journey across, and she forgave those who had wounded her so horribly. I can't explain it. I, I don't know how it works. I don't know how God works. Or why He chooses to forgive and to heal and to restore, to transform in, in those kinds of ways. I could tell you another story of a a 13-year-old daughter who was immediately set free, healed from her. And her dad and mom got things connected and healed and whole in their marriage. How does that work? I don't know. I'm not Jesus. I just, I would not be here this morning if it wasn't the incredible joy that I get just to watch Jesus show up and do what only He can do. I think it was eight or ten months later, my late wife, Marilyn, got an email from that mom. And she said, my husband and I are not doing so well. We've gotten back into the old rut of fighting and bitterness and resentment. What I call sort of an evil for evil kind of relationship. And she said, guess what? Crohn's is back. And so for me, it's, uh, it's, it's just one of those 
what? Universal realities. Unforgiveness is always, always, always unaccompanied, always accompanied. It's always accompanied by some kind of suffering. And so the questions that you and I can ask then are why? Um, Who controls that seeming connection between unforgiveness and suffering? And how does unforgiveness result in suffering? And what what kind of suffering comes? And I don't suppose we'll have time to answer all of those questions, but let's dive in. You know the Matthew the story in Matthew chapter eighteen, where Peter comes to Jesus and he says, "So Lord, uh, if my brother offends me, how often do I forgive? Maybe how many? Seven times." I understand that in Jewish culture at that time it was three. You forgave three times and then it was payback time. I don't know how Peter was thinking, but I'm guessing he thought, well, let me double it. uh, And then I'll add one more for good measure to get the perfect number and I'll be good. But you know the story. What did Jesus say? No, Pete, not seven. What? can't hear you. Seventy times seven, infinite, whatever it takes, forgive. But then you remember the story. Jesus launches stories. I love stories. I love collecting stories. Ask Bonnie about stories. I connected with Bonnie around a story. And if she tells you that it was just a pickup line, don't believe her. So Jesus was a master storyteller. I would like Jesus. I want to learn to tell stories that connect to the heart. He said there was a king in money, and he decided it was time to settle up. So he brought the first guy in. Who owed him how much? Depending on the translation that you read, in our dollars, it says ten million dollars. I think Jesus exaggerated that debt right into the stratosphere just to make a point. And the master said, pay up. It's time. Settle up. You owe me. And this guy couldn't pay. And so his master said, well, liquidate everything that he has. Sell his farms, his cars, auction off him and his wife and kids in the slave auction. Let's get whatever we can out of this guy. Remember the story? This guy's an idiot. Seriously. He fell on his face in front of the king and he begged him for... Not in my book. That's like the answer. Anybody? What? More time. He said, just give me time and I will pay it all back. Not in a hundred lifetimes could he have ever hoped to pay that back. And he's saying, give me time. I think people, I think people were laughing and saying, what was this guy thinking? But his master 
had compassion. And so in one moment from unbelievable debt, his master said, I'll pay. The pendulum swung and he's a free. He walks out, bumps into one of his fellow servants who owed him how much? 20 bucks. I think Jesus exaggerated it the other way this time. Grabbed him by the throat and began to choke him and say, pay up. Same answer. This this guy said, just give me time. I will pay you. No mercy. Had him thrown in prison until he would pay back every penny. His fellow servants saw what was happening. They were angry. They told the king. The king dragged him back in. He said, you scoundrel. You wicked, wicked servant. I had compassion on you with that huge debt. What were you thinking? You can't have mercy on a fellow servant who owes you a pittance? And then what? His wrath and his anger. It says the king turned him over again, depending on the translation. The jailers or anybody else? The what? The tormentors, exactly. One translation says the tormentors. Another translation says what? The torturers. Handed him over to the tormentors until he would pay back every penny. I wish the story ended there, but it doesn't. Jesus turned to the crowd and he said, this, this is what my heavenly father will do to you. If you don't forgive your brother, and he doesn't even end right there, but he wraps it up with three short words. If you don't forgive your brother, your sister, your dad, your mom, how? From the heart. From the heart. I don't know if I'm right. I like to think that I am. But as I've worked this process of forgiveness over the years, for me that's the key right there. And it's what I stand. I sat, I sat through loads and loads of Revival meetings, tent crusades, renewal meetings, whatever. I heard the sermons on the need for forgiveness. And I, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit reminding me of someone that I had been crucified by or misused in some way. And I wanted to forgive. And so I would come to the altar and I would kneel And I would say, God, I'll forgive them if it kills me. I would get up and I'd leave. And somewhere down in here, there was a black ball of pain that I didn't know what to do with. And I would see that person across the church. And I didn't want to talk to him. So I don't know if I understand forgiveness Right, but I'll tell you I'll tell you where I am with it at this point. You and I have our part of forgiveness, and God has his part. 
For you and me, God says, forgive. Release them. Pay the debt yourself. Whenever there is an offense, there's always a a cost. There's a, a price to be paid. And there's a a cost when you and I choose not to forgive. And so you and I have a piece of forgiveness. And it's, for me, I I just say it's, it's just a cold, hard, intellectual, academic kind of decision to say to someone, you couldn't pay if you wanted to. And so I write a check for that debt, and I sign my name, and I say, I've paid it. You know, that's how it is with you and me, with Jesus. We're doomed. The penalty of sin in God's eyes is death. We're doomed to die. But Jesus said, Forgiveness is substitutional. It's costly. It's one person saying, I'll take your place. I'll pay for what you did because you can't. So that last verse that we looked at there, verse 35, what Jesus is saying to you and me is that Allah will deliver you and me to suffering if we don't forgive others. If we don't forgive specifically from our hearts. And so there will always, always be painful and very real consequences to our unforgiveness. And I could talk to you for all about the ways that what's in our hearts comes out. Physically, emotionally, in all kinds of ways. You and I have a good father. A compassionate father who loves us like crazy. And who doesn't want us living life contrary to His character and His forgiveness you and me. And so, out of who He is, because He loves us so much, He will bring discipline. And that's the essence. That's the heart of what Jesus was teaching there. The Father will bring suffering to go with our unforgiveness. We could talk about discipline Versus punishment. Not punishment looking back instead of forward. It ends when we've suffered enough. But discipline that to shape you and me into God's character. Not because He wants us to suffer. But because He wants us to forgive. Robert Asagioli said, Without forgiveness, life is governed by an endless cycle of resentment and retaliation. We could look we could look quickly at what Jesus meant by torture or by torment. What kind of torment are we talking about? I don't want to take up a lot of time. I'm not a Greek scholar, but there the, the word that's used there is something like Basanizo. Basanizo. And it can have different meanings depending on the context. It can talk about physical suffering. The centurion's suffering, who was paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. 
It can be emotional suffering. Um, the story of Lot, who was a righteous man. He was tormented in his righteous soul, seeing what was happening in the city around him. I know lots of people. I, I have known people who were suffering emotionally because of unforgiveness. It can also refer to the pain of childbirth. Revelation talks about how she cried out in pain. Childbirth's not, but it helps us to understand what kind of or what degree of suffering that is included here. And, and then finally, it, it can refer to eternal torment in the lake of fire and torment and so on. But will you hear me carefully? Please, please log this into your into your computer. Not all suffering is the result of unforgiveness. Please don't go there. In John 9, it talks about a man who was born blind. And how was it? His disciples came to Jesus and said, Who sinned? And Jesus said, Neither. But it was so that God's glory could be displayed in what Jesus was doing. But... The reality is that some of the pain and the suffering that you and I experience can be. For me, this is a hard teaching. I don't like it. But there is good news in this. I see this as a legal contract. That you and I are parole of that legal contract. My actions... My unforgiveness started that contract with the Heavenly Father and my actions. Our actions, our unforgiveness can bring it to an end. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live another day without the joy of answered prayer, without the delight of living in my Father's ongoing continuing forgiveness. I love the way Michael referenced the Heavenly Father. We'll, we'll talk about that, about that tonight. The things that happen to you and me, those deep, deep wounds, whether it's a father wound or a mother wound or a brother or sister wound or some kid at school or whatever the situation might have been, Those wounds are the door point. It's where the enemy gets his foot in the door with you and me and turns the pain into bitterness. And for healing to happen, that wound needs to be cleansed. The infection needs to be washed out. Bruce Wilkinson says, anyone who persists in unforgiveness will, will, experience torment. We can think about the scrapes from the past. I don't know where you... I had the delightful experience of growing up in in the heart of Appalachia in southeastern Kentucky where it's like this and we'd, we'd cobble together whatever broken down bicycles we could and then we'd push them up the hill and we'd ride them down. I hate to tell you, but sometimes they didn't have brakes. 
They had wheels but no brakes. And I can remember accidents as a kid where we couldn't make the curve or where we ended up down over the edge. And I can remember knees with nasty stuff, gravel embedded in those open sores. And the only way they would heal was after my mom would wash that wound, wash the dirt, and all those, whatever the infection-producing elements were, wash them out. And typically for me, a lot of tears because I have a low pain threshold. I don't like pain. I also remember times when the cleansing wasn't enough and where infection would, would set in with more pain. So how, what do we do with bitterness? Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.32, the verse that most of us memorized in some to one another, be tender-hearted, forgive each other in the same way that Christ forgave you. And so one way for you and me to forgive or to replace bitterness is simply to show kindness, demonstrate a tender heart. I want to wrap this up with what for me are the are, are four crucial keys to forgiveness. And I've talked about these. Number one is simply to release. Cancel the debt to say to whoever the offender was to say, you don't owe me. You don't owe me a penny. You don't owe me anything. I release you. There's no debt. It's like you take a a note if you're familiar with those, a note of indebtedness, and you write paid in full and sign your name, there's no debt. Oh, I didn't want to do that. The second thing is, is and it's, it's sort of part of that first point, and it's where you and I say, I will pay. I will pay for the pain. You robbed me of my childhood. Ever it was. And you can't pay. And so I will pay. You might think, but I don't know what that means. I've been paying all my life because of what a cousin did to me in the closet. Or whatever it was. This is different. Yes, we, you and I do pay in the suffering and the torment of that. But this is where I say, I'll pay. I'm... I'm releasing you from the debt and I will pay not only for what you did to me there, but I'm also willing to pay for all of the emotional consequences, the things that I've lived with for maybe my whole lifetime. I have a friend who has a, I think a 10 or 12 year old was sexually abused by a child. The enemy came to that, came to her heart, and said, you are just a piece of crap. You are nothing but garbage. You have been used and abused and violated. And he wove that lie into her head and then into her heart. And so the truth in her heart was that she was worthless, a throwaway. 
No man would ever love her. Wish, I wish she could be here today and share her story with you. And it would go something like this. All of that happened. And yes, it was criminal. My uncle should have been locked up because of what he did. The way he defiled me and the way he robbed me. Destroyed, she got married. She became an angry, controlling person. Destroyed her marriage, her family, her kids. But yet Jesus... In Ephesians 4.27. But in your anger, don't sin and don't let the enemy get his foot in the door. Don't give him a place. Don't give him ground. Don't give him an opportunity. Don't give him a door point. The enemy loves to come to you and me and just spiral the bitterness and the resentment right out of control, off of the charts. And so we say, Jesus, will you come to my heart? Will you take back any place that the enemy found in my bitterness or my resentment? And like I said earlier, I didn't know how to get to this last step. And this is Jesus' part. This friend of mine would say, I made the hard decision, the costly decision to forgive my uncle and to choose to pay for a lifetime of payment, in a sense, and consequences that I've lived with. I invited Jesus to come and back the place that the enemy found in my bitterness and my resentment. But then I went running to Jesus. This did it. I can't heal anybody's heart. I can't heal mine. I can't heal yours. That's what Jesus said he came to do. And it's what he'll do if we invite him to do it and if we allow him to do it. So we run to Jesus and we listen. We ask him to come and be the healer that he said he came to be. He said, I came to preach good news to the poor. I came to heal broken hearts. I came to break the chains. And to unlock the cell door. And he'll do that for you and me. When I sat through the the story of Rich Mullins, there was so much of that that was it was right. But I felt like it sort of left you and me hang. I don't know how you felt about it, but one of the things that I want to say to you is the last thing that I want to do is to leave you hanging with pain that you don't know what to do with. You don't know where to go with it. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus loves to come to broken, wounded hearts and to be the healer. I'm not Jesus. I don't know how He might choose to show up for you. I was telling the guys upstairs in our prayer meeting that I've, I've watched the Holy Spirit get a guy's nose in the carpet and he blubbers for a half an hour, 45 minutes, and the Holy Spirit just washes it from him. Just washes it. And he gets up and never looks back. He's dead. 
I've watched the Holy Spirit over a year or two or sometimes three just peel back layers of DNA as a person begins to go to deep, deeper places and understand what the consequences of someone's abuse were and how it impacted their heart. And I've watched Jesus just gently come. I have another very, very good friend who was abused by an older brother. That's a long story. But she met Jesus. And she would tell you that Jesus came and washed her heart, poured in the oil and the wine, came to be the truth. For her, it was a long journey. She said, I always wanted to be a mom, wanted to have kids of my own. She was involved in several strong, healthy relationships, but she would get so close and then she'd hit the eject button and bail out because she knew the truth in her heart was that no man could ever love her. But Jesus came and he healed her heart. And I preached her wedding sermon. A widower who had three or four kids, they have a delightful relationship today. She can walk into a room. God has given her a sensitivity. And she can walk into a room and she can spot a girl that had been abused. And she ministered to hurting women, marriages with her husband and to singles. I can't heal hearts, but Jesus can. He said that can't remember which message that this is a part of, and I'm over time. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth what? Set you free. Long story, but I was riding, I was driving toward Holmes County, Ohio, and I was having a conversation with Jesus. It was like he was there. And at one point, I heard a question. What do you think of that John 8:32 and I'm thinking you shall know the truth and I thought well you've given us scripture we have written truth and I know the book when I've memorized and meditated that's when freedom spirit said so is that was that true for you and my heart sank and I thought no I I grew up with the book but my life was one of bondage to sensuality and to moral failure. What's wrong with that picture? I wondered where Jesus was going. And then I, he began to connect dots for me. When I found freedom, it was when I ran to Jesus and I listened to what he wanted to say. Jesus said, by the way, in John, what is it, 14... I am the way, I am the what? I am the truth. I am the truth. When you experience me as the truth in your heart, then you will be free. That's true for you and me. That's the only answer. It's the only thing I can tell you. So what does this look like for you and me? It's about us simply coming to Jesus with whatever the pain is. 
and making the decision to release, to pay. Lunch is in 20 minutes. And Michael gave me the freedom to sort of mosey on into, into this time with you. And so instead of individual talk with you about what this might look like. Number one, it's simply saying, Jesus, I choose to release my dad. I choose to forgive him for all of those hurtful words, for his inability to connect with my heart, his inability to father me, his inability to connect emotionally. Maybe he wasn't angry and bitter. Maybe he was a good dad, but he was locked down emotionally and he didn't know how to do heart stuff. Or maybe he was absent. I don't know. But I, I say, Jesus, I choose. It's about this right here. It's the head part. I release my dad. There's no dead. He may be, he may be gone. He may be dead. He can never come back. Or maybe even though he's still here, he, he doesn't know how. Nobody ever showed him. And so I don't blame him. I just say, Jesus, I release him to you. If he's going to change, you'll have to change him. I release him. I'm willing to pay. Whatever the consequences are of that pain. And then I say, Jesus, will you come in all the strength and the power of Calvary, your Holy Spirit, will you come and take back any place in my heart that the enemy found in my anger, my bitterness, my resentment? Will you wash me clean? Jesus, I repent of my part of this. My bitterness, my anger. And then for me, the critical piece that I can't, you and I can't do it. This is what Jesus said he came to do. And so I go running to Jesus. And I say, Jesus, will you come to my heart right now? Will you come and do the truth? And I let, I let the Holy Spirit take me back. into. I, I don't deny, like I said yesterday. I don't deny the pain or the reality of that. I say, Jesus, my uncle sh should have been locked up because of what he did to me. It was criminal. But I forgive him and I release him. And I say, Jesus, will you come in the gentleness of your Holy Spirit and will you be the truth? Will you be the healer of my heart? And I just have a conversation with Jesus in what I call the room of grace. Conversations with the Holy Spirit. I say, Jesus, do you care? Do you care about a little girl who was being violated by a cousin who felt so helpless, powerless? Jesus, do you care about a little boy rashed him with a milker hose or a conduit or whatever it was? Who, or who threw him through the garage door like one young man. Jesus, do you care? Jesus, would you come in this moment and show me how much you care? I've accepted you. I'm your sheep. And you said that your sheep hear your voice. And Jesus, I want to hear from you. So as we wrap this up, I'd, I'd invite you to just bow your heads with me. I don't know what the Holy Spirit may have connected in your heart this morning. 
But if there if the Holy Spirit nudged you, brought to your mind things that you know you need to forgive, then I would invite you in the quietness of your heart at this moment to just walk with me. It's a short walk to the cross. And so just pray in your heart, Jesus, there's no secrets with you. You know everything about me. You know the pain that I've carried for so much of my life. But in this moment, I choose to forgive. And what they did, and tell Jesus how you felt, the feelings that you've carried, causing me to feel so unloved, so rejected, so abandoned, so violated. And Jesus, this morning, I choose to pay for all the pain and the consequences that they caused me. Let the Holy Spirit bring to your mind the consequences, the ways that you may have paid for them. I invite the Holy Spirit to come and take back any place that was given to the enemy. The enemy may have erected a stronghold, a, a way of thinking in your heart, which is a stronghold of lies. <laughs> Jesus, would you come and take back that place that the enemy found? And would you, would you dynamite any stronghold that the enemy built, any fortress in my heart? Blow it to smithereens. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and just Move in and fill up every corner of my heart as I surrender to you. And Jesus, would you come and be my healer? Jesus, would you, would you give me a picture of what my heart has looked like? Jesus, would you show me how you're healing my heart? Could you give me a picture? Could you somehow show me? Just be the truth in my heart. Jesus, what are you going to do with all the pain that I've carried? Could you show me? What do you want me to hear from you right now? Are there words of truth as you come that will transform and renew my heart?
love a line from, from uh, John Maxwell. In one of his books, he said, he said, I will die with no enemies. There are people who don't like me, but the feeling is not mutual. I don't want to die a bitter man like some men that I know. John went on to say that the, that the reason that people don't like him is because they lack discernment. We'll talk more about that tonight when we look at identity. If you don't like me, Sorry, I wish you could. But you don't have the discernment that my good father has because he likes me a lot. I'm going to take just a moment or two. No pressure, but is there anyone to take a few minutes who would care to share? Is there a way that the Holy Spirit met you this morning or in the last few moments? Did Jesus show up to be the truth in your heart? Did he show you something? Did you hear his whisper as he came to speak truth? We don't have time for the whole drama, <coughs> but uh, a short word. Anyone? Pressure, yes. your name? Steve. Thanks, Steve. Good word, Steve. We'll keep, we'll keep putting band-aids on the symptoms. We'll keep finding whatever the medication of choice is until Jesus takes us to the root and heals our heart. Anyone else? don't fully know 
um, what God's showing me. But I went. I went in, and God said that He loves me. Hallelujah. That's the first time I've heard that. Amen. So that's what God's showing me. Thank you, bro. You know, Rex, that's so often it's that simple message. It's, that's the way that Jesus shows up. It may be nothing profound, but it is profound. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. You know, if you and I can, can connect with that incredible what was the what was the song this morning? The reckless over reckless the reckless love of God. While we were yet sinners, when we are so messed up, that's when He loves us. We need to connect with that. I love Matt's His grace is enough. We don't have to carry that trash. We don't. I'm not God, but I love watching him show up and heal hearts. One last story, and then it's back to you, Mike. Michael. Um, I was sitting with a couple, um, broken marriage, lots of anger. She had been horribly wounded as a girl growing up. Her husband was unfaithful. Just buckets of pain. And we were sitting and I was doing the best that I know to get her connected to Jesus, the healer. And I was leading her in that kind of simple prayer. It's not rocket science. It's not a formula. And she was sobbing as the Holy Spirit was washing her heart of pain then we were at that pl- at a place of saying, Jesus, you come. Will you just come and be the tree? And as she began laughing, <laughs> just shaking with laughter. And when she sort of found her way through, I said, what, tell me what happened. And she said, Jesus came to me. And I saw him standing there with a, a little lamb in his arms, pure white, a lamb. I thought, that's a delightful picture. What else? I didn't say that. I just gave her time. And she said, she said that lamb had a white ribbon around its neck. And my name was written on that ribbon. And Jesus' little lamb was there. 